Hello everyone, this is Bob and Threadbear, and welcome back to a campaign that I'm calling Fighting in Harmony. It uses the Lancer role-playing system and features three players. Three. No more, three. no less. Eh. Three. But where we last left off, our three players... Well, we'll get to that. Our three players had uh, freshly become uh, Lancer cadets under the stewardship of one Lieutenant Marcos Messios. And you were rather unceremoniously dumped into a... An active war live, zone? Live combat scenario. Active combat zone. And told to destroy a sniper mech and its uh, support personnel. Which we did with varying degrees of success. Now, now, all of you succeeded. It's just that some of you took more damage than others. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, when one of you uh, stood up after the uh, sniper was destroyed and the support teams were fleeing the battlefield, one of you stepped into a sinkhole that was surprisingly big and deep to the point where your retro jets reactivated so that you could safely descend to the ground. And after looking around curiously for a second, the lights started going on and you discovered that you were deep in the bowels of a futuristic underground city. And that was when a voice disembodied piped in right through your uh, audio system, spoke up and said, ah, at last someone has fallen through one of the weak points I've set up. Uh, greetings, I am Dimu and welcome to Jinxing. Those two of you who are on the surface, you must forgive me, but I am jamming your long-range communications right now. If you would, please join your friend down below. I assure you that the fall will not be destructive unless you have taken more damage than him. My mech looks directly at Loxley's mech as if to say, are we fucking serious right now? <laughs> hmm. All right. Loxley jumps in. There's there's a point where Connor is just up there by himself for a very long time, like several minutes before stepping through and go and hoping that this isn't a hallucination or something from like the horrors of war you don't actually get up to be there for several minutes with your own thoughts before i just get on the comms and game show shit or get off the pot <laughs> it's like well here goes nothing i guess i assure you there is a way back up to the surface now he steps through. All right. Oh, now this is new and different. It is on this planet, at least. Garrett, 
to elaborate? Yes. If you would follow the lights, please. It will be much easier to tell you in comfortable surroundings, perhaps. And as the uh, feminine yet disembodied voice says this, uh, sure enough, a series of lights just either turn on or turn brighter to create this visible pathway leading to uh, some of the uh, construction you can see off in the distance. I am going to follow the path slowly. I'm going to take the time to, like, do the stabilize action so that my rocket launcher... No, that was destroyed. I don't have that weapon anymore. Never mind that. (laughs) But I am, like, (laughs) making sure my weapon systems are online. I'm no good at scanners, but I am sending out, like, sensor waves to check for enemy units. Yeah, there's a... There's basically your comprehensive sensors, which is a stat on your mech, and then there's also line of sight, which uh, has varying degrees of success at detection. But uh, from everything you can see, no roll required. Nothing is moving except the lights, which are one by one turning off as you are uh, passing them by. And a few more that are turning on even further off in the distance. Basically creating this... You know how, like, in some buildings they've got those motion-sensitive lights? And so it's sort of like you're walking through pools of light in a big chamber of darkness. That's sort of the effect that these lights are providing you. Mm -hmm. I don't claim to be an expert on these matters, but it seems to me that this is not hegemony tech. I'm not so full of myself that I would make that claim either. I don't know jack for shit about hegemony tech. This doesn't look like I mean, so... Yeah, is is the architectural style similar to what I grew up in, I guess I would ask? Oh, it is vastly different from anything any of you have seen before. And the very existence of a massive underground tunnel supported by apparently beams that are too thin to hold the weight is something you would be pretty sure that the hegemony would crow about if they had. Hmm. And at, at the very least, it would have to be some sort of tourist destination. And yet, no, nothing of the sort, nothing remotely close. So I'll just confer with Loxley, agree with his assessment. Mm, right. And sure enough, eventually you find yourselves in a mech bay. There are empty bays and full bays, full of uh, mechs of varying unique designs. You are familiar with the idea of unique mechs. They, they aren't all just standard uh, general issue designs like the ones you three are piloting and in particular the harmonic choir each of their mechs is deliberately designed to be individual not just as a matter of um, playing to the pilot's strengths but also as a way to display uniqueness as a 
sort of like a you two can be this much of a powerful individual if you are uh, lucky and uh, competent enough to join the order. But here you are in a in a mech bay, unknown as far as you know to the hegemony, and full of mechs, each as unique as the ones piloted by the elite of this planet. And as you enter the bay, the voice comes back in on your radios and says, If you please, find an empty bay anywhere, attach your mech, and uh, if you feel safe enough to do so, you may leave it and activate the repair systems, automated, of course, and you can then come to a ready room adjacent to this structure, or if you prefer, there is a terminal inside the mech bay within eye line of some of the individual base. If you feel that is safer for you. Mm. Permit me to ask a question, if I may. I believe you mentioned that you had um, set up that particular pitfall, one of many, if I can ask um, why. What? Well, that is a big question to ask. It ties in with the whole reason that anyone is down here at all. As I said, feel free to come up to a terminal and I will explain the whole thing. But if you prefer, I can say at least for now that I was looking for some mech pilots to recruit. And so I had to very deliberately design some weak spots on the surface that would crumble under the weight of a mech, but not under the weight of a person. I take it direct action would be too obvious. Yes, and will be explained. Hmm. Well, I don't think I need any repairs, but I'm very curious to learn what this is about. So... Yeah, Blakeson will dock and get out and kind of find that ready room. As we're rolling through, I'm just looking around. I'm looking for, like, logos, symbols, any sort of identifying marks on anything. Well, you do find some. A number of them. Very different ones. In fact, uh, most of the mechs have some sort of designer's logo or emblem placed somewhere on the uh, on the frame, but none of them you recognize. This one's half a maple leaf. <laughs> what about like on the bay itself? On the bay itself? Well, let's see. I don't think the Union has like a canon symbol associated with it. But what you see is essentially a star with four large points and four small points between them, surrounded by three rings. Is that a familiar symbol to me? No, but it is worth noting that your planet is the second from your star. Hmm, okay. Okay, well, uh, I don't know the way up to the surface, and my mech is kind of shot to shit. So, 
there isn't a good reason to believe I would be able to get out of here under my own power as is. I am exceptionally suspicious, but I am going to play along for the time being, so I will dock my mech, do whatever handshakes are necessary to start the repair protocols, and then I'm going to like properly get strapped. I've got a hard suit and I've got two weapons that I'm putting on as I exit the cockpit. Give you guns? Of course. Standard issue. No one asking that in character, but... <laughs> and it's only one gun. The other's a sword. Since the other two are getting out, uh, Connor will plug it in, just take a few deep breaths, and then put on uh, Game Face and hop out with, like, this smarmy grim grin that he's known for. How obviously fake Mom. is the grin? Uh, let's find out. I can roll. What do I want to roll? I guess show off. Charm? I'll charm or show I mean, either way, they're a plus two, so I'm going to try. So I'm just going to go ahead and roll. Uh, 14. So it's like... 14 is a success. Yeah. So it's not obviously fake. Okay. I choose to believe that you are just as cool as you present yourself. Loxley got out first and was heading towards the ready room, so I'm just going to follow him for the time being. Yep, same. Might as well stick together. All right. My hands do be at my hips, though. Well, the lights that are glowing brighter do lead you to a door at one end of the bay, the far end of the mech exit. And, uh... Much like the transport ship you just left behind, uh, the ready room is basically adjacent to the hangar, and as such, you enter the room, and instead of just being a bunch of school desks, there are, like, a bunch of proper constructed tables and chairs. Although, something you note is that there don't appear to be any sort of organic components to any of the furniture. Everything is made out of a relatively hard metal or metal alloy and a relatively soft plastic or plasticine material. Yeah, furniture. And the basically one wall of the room lights up and a figure appears on it. Much like the voice, this figure is feminine, but uh, is also very clearly not human. Her figure is uh, all green, all made of the same material. Although seeing as it's a an image, it's hard to say what kind of material it is. Nevertheless, uh, the figure bows to you and says, as I said before, I am Dimu, and you are now standing in Jinshi. Where I come from, it is the name of a planet that shares the same system as the Cradle. It also translates in your language to Metal Star, which I think is quite appropriate. Now I am sure you are wondering why I have brought you here, but Perhaps you would like to start with a question. So, a place to start. 
Alright. How long have you been on this planet? I have been on this planet for the past 237 years. That is when a rebellion on this planet, a, a group that you call Discordance, managed to get their hands on a Omninet terminal and contact the Union for help. I was sent right away along with this ship, a resource ship, but sadly, because of the way interstellar travel works, I arrived too late to help the rebellion I was sent to assist. So I activated plan B. I made a stealth landing overnight onto this island, buried myself deep underground, and began harvesting the planet for resources. The caverns you saw outside were solid rock once upon a time, but, well, with enough time and effort, just about any resources can be repurposed. You speak quite a lot in the first person, as though you are the ship. Well, I'm not the ship directly, but it can be a bit hard to separate us. I am a thing that is called a non-human person. An artificial intelligence that has crossed the threshold to sapience. I was cloned and placed in this vessel when the mission was sent out. You've been playing the long game for quite some time. I have, yes. It is because Plan B requires that I become a faction in my own right. You see, my goal is to overthrow the harmonic hegemony and to replace the government with something that is better able to represent the needs of its people. Uh huh. My the whole posture just like shifts and my arms cross. Yeah, the, the grin goes off and uh, suddenly he's like, Alrighty then, okay. <laughs> Lakeson is kind of like grinning and leaning back in his chair. The reason I must become a faction in my own right is because at this point I have so many resources that if I were to contact one of the many rebellions that are fighting against the hegemony at any given time, then I would provide them with too much power. And according to the best political science scientists of the Union, the best way to uh, begin a representative government is to have a number of factions of approximately equal power create a government that prevents any one of them from securing that power. Thus, by distributing as much power into as many hands as possible, you will set yourselves down a better path. One that would allow you to contact the Union, and perhaps one day even become a member. Brain is firing at a million miles an hour right now. You should go ahead and ask if I am saying anything you don't quite understand. Uh, I've been monitoring communications on this planet for some time, but it's hard to get a picture of what the average person is 
understands or knows. How physically distributed are you? Are you contained to this singular facility? Well, yes. There is a single core that houses what you would say is my brain. It's very well protected, of course. You don't invite strangers into your home without taking certain precautions. True, we are. Yes, I suppose that makes you the host. Uh, as the host, I suppose it wouldn't be out of line for me to ask you for refreshments, possibly? Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, they are not provided in the room you are in. There is a mess hall. Go through the door, turn left, down the hallway. The symbols should be clear, regardless of which language you speak. My appreciation. Unless you don't eat out of bowls here, but I'm fairly certain you do. Oh, I just want some tea is all. I'll be back momentarily. I appreciate them. Thank you in advance for... Uh, have fun talking to these two while I'm gone, though. Get me a dirty martini with three olives, please. No. I believe it is exceptionally unwise to consume alcohol at this juncture. <laughs> it's your own martini. Funny, I think it's super wise. If all of you are in need of refreshments, you could all head out and we can continue this conversation in the mess hall. Fine by me. We did just finish adjust my uniform a bit. Yeah. With some significant physical effort. Not mind something to drink. I will continue to follow Loxley around. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna head to the uh, to the mess hall. A little bit sterile, but I suppose it will do just fine. Bobbin, do I get the feeling that this ship is lived in? No, you don't. Everything is new, untouched. Now that you are inside a building, you do see some movement, but all such movement is coming from tiny little robots that are apparently running around either to uh, move objects or clean surfaces. I feel like I'm getting, I'm picking up what you're putting down pretty well here. Yeah. Nothing about this is homey. For my friends who drink alcohol, what's the difference between a regular martini and a dirty martini? He put the olive juice in it. Okay. So, since I don't exactly know how present our host is here, I'm going to test that by asking, as we are, like, walking the halls between the classroom and the mess hall, just kind of like... Okay, the ready room and the mess hall. I'm just going to kind of like point my head up at a slight angle as though I'm addressing the ceiling and just ask, could you tell us more about this order that generated you? Well, not the order, but the union. Yes, my mistake. It is a union of hundreds of planet systems and thousands of governments. They operate in concert, working together to uh, serve and protect the billions upon billions of citizens 
that they represent. See here, T, Darsheeling, hot ounce of honey, and a squeeze of lemon. Perfect. All right, so you say all of these things to a dispenser, and out of the dispenser comes hot water. <laughs> hmm. I am afraid that my ability to produce food and beverages is rather limited because of the vastly different tastes and food molecules that the union represents. It is generally preferred to bring beverages and food rations from the planet that the ship begins at, rather than con using molecular constructors to create them. Organic molecules are quite fiddly, and every attempt so far to reproduce real food has never quite been as good as the real thing. Or so I am informed. Mm. Well, no matter, I brought my own one moment. I, I'm, I'm literally just nipping back to my mech and getting my stash of Darge healing. <laughs> I am able to create a nutritional paste. That is easy enough. But flavors are another matter. So what happens when I order the dirty martini? What, what do I get? An error. You get <laughs> cold water, cold water. <laughs> in, in a martini glass. <laughs> He takes a single sip and goes, I've had worse. Also a, a steel toothpick. No oh, olive. Oh, okay, no, he now he hasn't had worse. <laughs> For a moment, I marvel at the martini glass because you are evidently an alien spaceship. Why do you have that? And then I remember, oh, you've been here for a long time, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm back. Um, if I could get another cup of hot water, this one is cooled down just a little too bit. <laughs> there is a reheater. Ah, excellent. Where would that be? Oh, no, I see it. Never mind. Yes. The, the symbols on the reheater have been adjusted to match the local languages, including the drift that has occurred since my arrival. Hmm. Oh. I don't suppose I'll be getting my lemon slice, but I did bring honey with me. So, oh. perhaps you are wondering why you have never heard of the Union before now? Not particularly. I can think of one very large reason why. Yes. It is in the interest of your rulers to make you believe that civilization begins and ends on Delphi. But it does not. And as a matter of fact, Planet Delphi has lost a significant portion of its technological base ever since the harmonic hegemony uh, successfully gained power. And also, despite what their schools will tell you, the hegemony is only around 500 years old. Before then, different forms of government ruled over this uh, planet. And it was only after contact was lost with the second committee 
that the uh, current paradigm took control. I'm just kind of frowning. Now, I feel like I would be correct in assuming that you didn't set up several elaborate traps for mech pilots just to have a lovely chat with them. Yes, you are correct. And uh, incidentally, I, I haven't said this before, but like one of the wall panels has lit up and uh, Dimu is present on that panel now. Yes, as I said before, it is important, given the resources at my disposal, that I create alliances rather than giving myself entirely to one rebellion or another. However, I must first contact those rebellions, those resistance forces who wish for a different future for the planet. And that is where you come in. You would be my voice on this planet. And you would prove my good intentions by defeating the Harmonic Choir. They are distributed in key locations throughout the planet. One for each continent or major island, and of course several more for the central continent, but we will talk about that when we are in a position to uh, rid the continent of the Harmonic Choir. For then, it is more important to contact the various outgroups, help them band together, provide them with the resources they need to secure their independence, and then, together, to rid the world of a tyrant and put in its place something that can obey the will of its people. Well, I don't need any more convincing than that, really. I have very little love for the hegemony. I give you the side eye. I give you the side eye back. At this point, it might be a good idea to ask you a question, which is, where are you from? And uh, I will note that every major location on this planet is named after a voice register. The main continent is Treble, because Treble is the uh, primary key. Or not key, the... You know, the bars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The weird sort of G and symbol. That's treble. So that's... Is that the one with, like, the largest cities and such? Because I imagine that uh, that Connor, if if not born there, would identify as being from there. Yes. The, uh, the people of treble are essentially the imperial society of this planet. Then, yes, uh, Connor would be from treble. Yeah, same. Uh, I don't know. Do we have like a a map or an outliner? Did was this listed somewhere and I just missed it? No, I think I'm making it up. Yeah, I haven't created a map yet, but oh, okay. uh, the, I will say the only thing that's taken so far is that the island, the large Greenland-sized island you are currently on, is called Soprano, and because of how the uh, global climate works. This place is a uh, relatively arid 
island with the population concentrated mostly along the eastern coast. And I will say that all I really require from you is just a, uh, a vocal register. Pick one at random if you want. Okay, so you can add as many more details as you want, or you can leave the rest to me. Soprano's taken. What was the other one that's taken? Treble. Treble. Which is apparently the vocal register of a prepubescent boy. Hmm. So, you know, wide open field. And I shall be from Alto. All right. I will make a note. And like I said, you can make up as many details as you want now or pretty much any time before we actually get there. But in the meantime, Alan has... Alan Blakeson, at the very least, is absolutely on board. However, we have yet to hear from the other two pilots. See, here's the thing. Uh, Connor doesn't particularly care who he fights for as long as he gets to keep being famous or regain his particular fame so if this other faction can like sell him on that then he would be on board uh how would you word the question in character then okay um is there any way that doing this will get me recognition beyond my wildest dreams well you would be one of the spokesmen of the rebellion that successfully overthrew a tyranny. The movies write themselves. You had me a movie. I'm it. I just sort of like do a quick look between my squad mates. I don't quite say anything. Faces pretty impassive. straighten up the cuffs of my pilot suit pop up a little bit straighter and all I say is very well continue is that ascent? that is ascent good enough for me (laughs) well the first thing that we will need to do is get you some new mechs I am authorizing a level one license for each of you. This will allow you to access some of the gear and frames that you saw coming in. Feel free to go out and uh, find one that looks good. Now, uh, they are registered with a number of manufacturers. And after you have logged your uh, registration, uh, chosen a license, so to speak. I believe that their representatives will want to speak with you. So we're leveling up our characters, essentially. You are leveling up your characters. Hell yeah. yeah! Not essentially explicitly (laughs) level up 
power up. And this is why I haven't been asking you to send me an updated uh, character file, because I'm going to wait until after you're done with this and after you've built a new mech using your first license level. Now, as I recall, all of you have at least come up with uh, initial plans, so we will cut back to the mech bay where the three of you are just sort of wandering through the stacks. And uh, as you approach each one, Dimu hopefully explains uh, a little about what the mech can do and uh, what its specialty is. But let's just skip past all of that and find out what you've all settled on. Mine is absolutely last in the comp con. So I, <laughs> I get all the way down to the end of the hangar before I find something that speaks to me. Mine's pretty far down, too. Huh. So do we just want to go over it straight out, say what we're doing? Yes, in CompCon, underneath the big license level on your uh, pilot sheet, there's the level up button. So press the level up button and just one at a time, tell me what you spend your uh, resources on. Improve that skill trigger. Yep, you can feel free to bump one of your twos up to a four or buy a completely new trigger entirely. Let me take a look here, see what we've got. I need to ask something kind of that is going to be getting a bit ahead of ourselves. And, you know, I might edit this out if it's uh, something we'll explicitly address later. But I, I need to know, Bob, and to what extent are we going to continue to interact with the hegemony in like a positive way from this point on? Well, you can feel free to have conflicted feelings about the entity as a whole or about the people who currently work for it, but they are, in essence, the antagonist. Okay. It's just my uh, my skill trigger get a hold of something is kind of predicated on me being able to throw around my the, the recognition of my lineage. And so that would be considered an enemy family by everybody who's going to be our allies from this point on. So I would ask that I get to reassign that. I would say even so that... Uh... It is very often true that the wealthy and noble families of an overthrown government still end up being wealthy and noble in what's there afterwards, especially if they are working with the resistance and not against them. That is a very reliable way of securing one's family's wealth. So my argument is that while you are free to remove that point and reassign it, it should still be good in the New World Order. Okay. So people might be willing to ingratiate themselves to me, and therefore that would be viable. Okay. Yeah, well, think about, like, Lafayette during the American and French revolutions. Well, if that's the case, I, I think for the time being, I am going to bump Stay Cool. Uh, I'm 
bumping up lead or inspire. So I was already planning on doing this. Um, I'm taking a point in hack or fix. All right. Well, after you sign your trigger point, you should be bumped over into talents. And at this point, you can upgrade a t one of the talents you already have to level two, get some more stuff. Or you could buy a completely new talent, if you so choose. Um, I already know what I'm doing with this one. I'm bumping up leader, which gives me five dice instead of three. And I can issue a command at, as a reaction on the start of any other player's turn any number of times per round, so it's not just limited to like on my turn and once per round. I think, uh, again, because this is something I wanted to do before, but didn't really... Well, I'm not sure. Do I want to do this now or down the line? Give me a minute, actually. Well, it depends on when you think it'll come up. I will say that you will need to get three license levels before you get all of the cool equipment that your mech promises you. Well, while Ape is thinking, I can say definitively that I am going to level up Skirmisher, so I get Lockbreaker before or after you skirmish, including as a reaction, e.g. from Overwatch, you may move two spaces. This movement ignores engagement and doesn't provoke reactions. I am keeping my highly mobile uh, focus for the time being. Yeah free couple spaces of movement is pretty important in this system. Yeah, I'm going to hold off. I'm just going to um, I was thinking of taking an engineer, but I think I'm just going to uh, upgrade Crackshot instead so that I get zero in. So, uh, Crackshot, when I first got it, gave me steady aim, which uh, if you remember was I am immobilized until the start of my next turn, but I get plus one accuracy on all attacks what I make with rifles. So zeroing in while steadying my aim and making the ranged attack with a rifle, I can attempt to hit a weak point, and that adds plus one difficulty to the roll, but it also deals a bonus 1d6 damage on a critical hit. Alright, that sounds fiddly, because it's much harder to get a critical hit when you've got active difficulty on the die. Um, and also, uh, I forgot to mention this when we started, but Bobbin allowed me to change one of my skills... So I now have hacking instead of uh, that other one that was sort of leaking over with apes because it kind of fits what my mech that I'm choosing is going to be doing better. Or rather, it fits with what you can do with the mech, which is to say, stand back, prevent the enemy from taking actions, use a whole bunch of reactions, and then on your turn, well, you've got some free time, you might as well hack their mechs. <laughs> Alright, once you've done that, you can increase one of your mech skills by one. More agility. I'm bumping my systems from one to two. I'm going to take a point in hole, actually. Alright. And then, at last, we have come to your license levels. Alright, so I mulled this over for a while because there were a couple that I felt like I could use. I'm basically... It came down between uh, the Sherman and the Death's Head, and I decided that while I like the Sherman, uh, I think Death Head is going to fit my playstyle a little bit better. Uh, I am choosing the Gorgon. 
I have selected the Harrison Armory Tokugawa. All right, and I will, or we will get further into descriptions and functionality a bit later, but uh, for right now, just recognize that you have granted yourself access to the frame along with some of the equipment that comes with it. Once you hit rank three, you will get access to all of the equipment that comes attached to the mech. But for now, you will need to fill its hard points and systems points with uh, some of the generic gear instead. Also worth noting is that something else you guys get that you are not deciding on because it is not something that uh, changes is you all have one grit now. And what grit does is, well, it adds to a lot of things. First, it uh, gives you a bonus to your attack rolls, but not your tech attack rolls, worth noting. Number two, it improves the uh, the save value that, like, if you use an ability on someone else and they have to save against it, that number goes up with grit. Uh, hit points go up with grit, and notably, that is both the mech's hit points and the pilot's hit points. I like having hit points. Yes, most people do. <laughs> I hate dying and being dead. Yes, most people do. Bobbin, when I'm when I'm trying to select my mech, it's not my um my frame isn't sh my new frame isn't showing up in the uh, hangar as a legal choice to take. Then make an illegal choice, don't pass. <laughs> I mean, it, I I can yes, and I did that, and then when I uh, when I click it, it says licenses required horse Gorgon two like. But like any of these frames should be eligible at level one, right? Or at uh, level one, right? I may have forgotten something that I am only now remembering. Oh, which is that uh, the frames are unlocked at license level two rather than one. Oh, mm. whoopsie doodles! But let me just double check that. Well. I'm gonna name my mech Wortia. Uh, I'm a, I'm naming mine Big Wheel because I ha have a fucking aesthetic that I'm going with. Okay, yeah, it is definitely license level two that access to the frame becomes available. Oh. But here is how I will rule it. I will say that uh, while you will have the appearance of the frame that you will be going with at license level two, it will have the game mechanics of an Everest up until you finish your first real mission. Okay. All right. That works. That works. Demu needs to make sure that we're not like absolutely dysfunctional. But you do have new stuff to play around with until then. Oh, I th I have more system points now. I think because yeah, I do. chose because uh, I chose systems to level up. So cool. Yes, you also have the equipment provided by license level one. So don't forget to crowbar that stuff in. Personalizations back in. 
in my paint job. Give me back my smoke charges. Ooh, mimic flesh? What? Oh, mimic mesh. Okay. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Quite the same thing. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, so I am actually going to get rid of my custom paint job for now. You know, it kind of makes sense in the fiction. It'll need time to, like, paint it properly. I, uh, I gotta detail what th my full family crest looks like, because just the Valkyrie head is the kind of simplified thing that the hegemony let me get away with as a new addition. So now that I have two system points, I am taking one of the things that the Tokugawa opened up to me, and that's external batteries. Weapons that deal any energy gain plus five range if they are ranged, or plus one threat if they are melee. When you take any structure damage, this system is destroyed, and you take 1d6 AP explosive damage from the explosion. The damage can't be prevented or reduced in any way. Yep, and naturally, you also get a new weapon for your main mount, which does energy damage and increases heat every time you use it. I didn't get any new weapons, it looks like. I just got two really cool new uh, things that I'm installing. Yeah, well, the uh, Gorgon is a defensive mech, and so it doesn't really rely on weapons per se. Yet another reason why I suggested you go in for hacking. Yes, uh, so I'm keeping my custom paint job. What I'm getting rid of is um, are my deployable cover things, and I'm taking both of the Gorgon uh, things of... Uh, Mimic Mesh and Sentinel Drone. Basically, Mimic Mesh, um, I can activate it as a quick action. Uh, it says, on activation, choose an allied character within sensors. Until the end of your next turn, you gain the Battlefield Awareness uh, reaction. And Battlefield Awareness uh, says that tr the trigger is a hostile action is taken against your target. The effect is you may move three spaces towards your target by the most direct route possible. This movement interrupts and resolves before the triggering action, ignores engagement, and doesn't provoke reactions. This reaction can be taken as many times per round as it is triggered. So basically every time my one of my friends is fired upon, I can move closer to them. And then there's oh. also... Um, yeah, over Sentinel. and over again. Yep. Uh, there's also uh, the Sentinel drone, which uh, is a quick action to deploy um it says the sentinel drone can be deployed to any free space within sensors and line of sight where it establishes a burst to security perimeter hostile characters within the affected area take three kinetic damage from the drone's automatic fire before making any attack so that'll be interesting yep worth noting that that damage goes through before the attack does and also that the drone is a uh independent object on the field which means that it can be aimed at and fired upon and I do want to describe what my mech looks like a little bit because uh, it's going to look different from the regular Gorgon uh, frame um, yeah. funny thing that is in keeping with Hor how Horus designs work but I'll get into that a bit later so um, the actual like frame cockpit itself is like in a gyroscope thing that, that doesn't move as this 
uh, mech is just like a big wheel with arms that are like like located all around it, and it just like sort of spins. So like all the arms can be used as legs and arms, and like just do all sorts of crazy shit. Uh, and it is also painted. Um, since I have a custom paint job, it's just just imagine like the the wheel from uh, Wheel of Fortune is is sort of painted like that. And uh, the the mech is called itself is called the big wheel. All right. And since this is horse, I am going to say that there is one additional design element that makes it a bit creepy. Dick. <laughs> Just a huge dong right in the. <laughs> oh, no. Floppy. It is that covering the uh, the cockpit is a very large you are really face. not helping your case with any of this <laughs> large face got it yes a large face uh, smooth in design the eyes closed as if serene and meditative and combined with the arms coming out of all directions it looks kind of like one of those creepy inhuman angel illustrations oh the biblical angels yeah, like with all of the wings coming out from every direction. Yes. Except in this case, the wings are skeletal. All right, do any of the rest of you have any specifics on how your mech looks? So Death's Head is a um, kind of short and squat. It's basically a, a tank with um, legs, with six legs and one big old gun you ever seen um, like ghost in the shell Remember the little robots like kind of like them actually but not really little but I I know what you're talking about but yeah short and squat mostly weapons and sensor systems a little pit where the uh, pilot gets to sit in and then the bottom half is just a bunch of legs that move across the ground. Very fast and agile. Yes, and despite the squat and um, bulky shape of the mech, it also fits in with the designer's uh, general style, which is thin, very well decorated, agile, as you said. And in fact, it is also very long range. It has sensor range of 20. Mm -hmm. Whereas the standard range is more like 8. Yeah, the Gorgon has a range of 8, although if we're using the stats from uh, the GMS still, my sensor range is actually going to get worse uh, in a little bit. Like, next level. Yep, that'll happen, but in exchange you'll get other stats and traits. Yeah, it's also going to get bigger because uh, the GMS is only size one and the Gorgon is size two. Mm -hmm. well, as for weapons, uh, I think I'm just going to keep the shotgun as my main and the pistol as my auxiliary. Uh, for my heavy weapon, though, I've got a new option. So while the anti-material rifle is still the longest range and has the armor piercing tag, uh, I have the Cyclone Pulse Rifle, which is uh, 5 shorter range at 15, but as opposed to 2d6 damage that the anti-material material rifle does, 
the Cyclone Pulse Rifle does 3d6 plus 3 kinetic damage. It also has the accurate tag. It also has the loading tag, but it has the reliable 5 tag so that it always does 5 damage. So I would trade... I lose some range and I lose armor piercing, but in return I gain much more damage. That is true, however... It's also worth noting that the... Very nice to have, though. That the Cyclone Pulse Rifle is one of the uh, GMS generic weapons. And it is a super heavy weapon instead of a regular heavy weapon. And there are a couple of trade-offs with the super heavy weapons. The first is that you have to sacrifice one of your other mounts just to stabilize the damn thing. And the second is that you need to use the full action attack in order to fire it. And you only get to fire once. Yeah, so it's an interesting weapon, but I think I'm still going to go with the anti-material rifle just because armor piercing is very good to have and maximum range. I like having maximum range. Mm -hmm. But I've also picked up uh, a couple things. Uh, I dropped the grenades. I've kept the smoke grenades. I've kept everything else, but I do now have two new things. Uh, one of which is a tracking bug. So, uh, making a tech attack against a character within sensors on a hit, you know their exact location, hit points, structure, and speed for the duration. They can't hide, and you ignore their invisible status. To, to remove the tracking drone, they must uh, succeed on an engineering check as a quick action, otherwise it deactivates at the end of a scene. So that's neat. And then what's also neat is uh, high-stress mag clamps, which basically means you treat all solid surfaces as flat ground for the purposes of movement. You can move across them normally instead of climbing, although you begin to fall if you are knocked prone. Now I'm a spider. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider. We love you, Spider. Yep. Spider. He is oh yeah, that's the other thing that Grit gives you. More system points. We're up to seven now. Or eight. I'm up to eight. Oh, yeah. Colin's Call special. I've, I've been investing in systems instead of agility. Yeah. Have fun not moving. Yeah, I don't know. I, I plan on having fun not moving. All right. And so we've got, got the visual picture of the death's head, but what does the... Uh, Tokugawa look like? Tokugawa is, I'm pretty certain, the most human-shaped out of the three that our player characters are working with. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it has the head, torso, two legs kind of deal. It has four arms, although they come out of like a, a standard humanoid pair of shoulders. Yep. They split just above the elbow. Each arm holds its own weapon. In the official art, they're all swords, but I'm going to flavor that up a little bit. You do get plenty of mounts. Mm -hmm. And notably, the uh, head is encased in a kind of high collar of solid metal. It, uh, it, very make, it makes it so that the head can't really be easily struck except from dead on forward or directly above. 
Yeah, it is the same kind of color that is used by real-world um, soldiers in heavy armor. Now, those, uh, those four weapons, the one in each hand, I believe is a way of representing the Tokugawa's signature weapon, the Annihilator, which is, uh... Well, okay, so it has two different range values. It has line 5, so it's a projectile, but it also has threat 3, so it's a melee weapon. Yep. It deals 1d3 plus 2 energy. It has armor piercing and heat 2. Every time I attack with it, my heat goes up by 2. This is important for the Tokugawa proper, because it trades in heat values pretty aggressively. It also has a, an extra facet to it of having a bit of a spread. I make a secondary attack against all characters within burst one of my target. These attacks don't deal bonus damage and don't trigger the heat cost. And it doesn't fucking cascade, so I don't make infinite chain lightning attacks on this. Yeah, and it's worth noting that bonus damage is something that the Tokugawa frame delivers. So the 1d3 plus 2 all counts for the secondary attacks. Okay. And then, in terms of you know, like I said, flavoring it, the... It's a different weapon in each hand. Because the the arms are kind of arranged not, like, horizontally, it's the... it doesn't go wide. It goes... they're arranged kind of front to back. There's front arms and back arms. The front arms is a... a sword, just a, a kind of standard-looking energy sword, and then a maul. And then the two back arms are wielding two different varieties of pull arms, a spear and a halberd. All right. And you also got a set of external batteries if you feel like applying them to your mech. Yes, I did, in fact, uh, unequip my custom paint job in order to fit those in. Yep, you said that, but you didn't. Uh, now that we know what your annihilators can do, should be mentioned that uh, because the annihilators do energy damage, the external batteries apply to it. Oh yeah. So my uh, my line ten is actually. Oh wait, is that automatically? Oh, that's automatically accounted for. Oh, I love the comp con. Okay, so my annihilators have true range of line ten and threat three. Threat four. It should be. Oh, that didn't update then. That's interesting. I'm looking at the numbers here, and yeah, it's th the Annihilator says threat three in the book, and yeah. external batteries should add plus one to that. It does, but CompCon isn't keeping track of that. That's odd. I'll make sure that it's correct on my Roll20 character sheet. Yes, but the downside is that the first time you take stru structure damage, this system blows up. And I take unblockable damage. Yep. Can't it would wait, simply block the damage. I mean, that that is the problem. It, it, it Like it says, external batteries. 
These things are just sort of riveted onto the back and very vulnerable to enemy fire. Oh, also, it's, um... The Annihilator is a main weapon, and it is CQB, so my handshake etiquette applies. So any a target, any targets I attack within range three, I get plus one accuracy on. I think that's it for me. I uh, I'll once we get another system point, I'll get my custom paint job back, and I'll talk about that. But for now, I think I'm good. Yep. Or you'll also need to rearrange things once you get the frame proper. Its system points are dependent, are frame dependent also. Yeah. So you'll have a chance to juggle then. But in the meantime, I see that you're looking at the Death's Head. It is a design created by the Smith Shimano Corporal. Mm-hmm. Can't put my finger on it, but... Something about it appeals to me. He's looking directly at the very large gun. <laughs> yes. Uh, Smith Shimano is famous for providing additional gear and equipment to colonization efforts throughout the galaxy. Their line of security mechs is only one part of the services they offer, and because what they offer is beyond what the government provides. They specialize in, uh, shall we say, uh, luxury mechs. Designs that focus on evading shots rather than uh, taking as many as possible. That appeals to my sensibilities. I think I'll take it out for a test drive. We're going to have to do something about this paint job. Ultramarine is just not... I, I, I just can't. That should be no problem. A simple coat of paint is something that the automated systems can easily provide. In addition, you do not need to worry about costs when it comes to your mechs. For citizens of the Union, money is not a factor of daily life. All needs and most desires are provided for by the government on demand. Oh, I was already sold at overthrowing the hegemony. <laughs> you don't need to keep the pitch going. It is not a pitch. It is explaining why we are providing license levels for you. Since this mission is supported by the Union, all costs including those of intellectual property, are arranged by us. However, I have now registered your desire for a Smith Shimano license, and they have a representative standing by who who wishes to speak with you. Wasn't aware off-planet communications were possible. They are very possible. It is the Omninet, which I have mentioned before. I don't want to keep them waiting. Right. Well, you are pointed in the direction of the ready room, and uh, the person who appears on the screen instead of Dimu is someone that 
the players would recognize as a person of Asian descent, uh, female, wearing a uh, very sharp-looking pantsuit, dark uh, pinstripes, and uh, very well tailored to uh, emphasize her curves. Mm. And you also see the room behind her. It is very well appointed, appears to be an office of some sort. Uh, there is a desk, but she is, at least to appearances, standing in the middle of the room to take this call. And uh, as you appear, she uh, gives you a polite bow and says, uh, Konnichiwa, Lancer. I am Akane Zhivago. Alan Blixen, pleased to meet you. Likewise. I have heard all about the mission that uh, is being planned on the planet of Delphi, and I am happy to have our corporation represented in this matter. Well, the Death's Head uh, appeals to my particular style of, well, not being shot and shooting them first. Oh, well... From what I hear, that is always something to strive for in battle. But uh, perhaps you've heard this about us before, but one of our specialities at Smith Shimano is bioengineering, and the population of your planet is quite valuable in that sense, because you have been isolated from the galactic community as a whole for the past 500 years. That's a lot of time for new mutations to develop and thrive in a specific environment. So if you would be so kind, please ask the NHP on board your ship to extract a blood sample and send us the data. If you do this, I believe that we could free up some additional resources to assist with your cause. Oh, that sounds like a pretty good deal. After all, I have loads of the stuff. <laughs> Though I usually prefer to keep it in me. I suppose a small vial is... I won't be missed. Oh, of course. No problem with that. And... GM voice here. What she offers in return is actively a resource. Because when you are between missions, you are able to perform various activities that will help you gain additional resources that will be useful during the upcoming mission. In general, resources are on a mission-by-mission -mission basis, so uh, it's essentially use them or lose them. But uh, depending on the source of the resource, uh, it could be that it could be easy or hard to gain the same sort of resource next time. Interesting. And I find it in the book. Ah, here they are. Ah, not resources, but reserves. That's the name for the category I'm talking about. Resources are a type of reserve. And since you don't know exactly what they can provide, and since they don't know exactly what you have uh, to offer, or what, or what exactly you need, uh, I am going to make a random roll to find out which resource you get off of this table. One. 
01 gets you access. A keycard, invite, bribes, or insider access to a particular location. So once you get to planning the specifics of your upcoming mission, you can essentially spend your access resource as a way to bypass some sort of difficulty that you would have to get into an area. Sounds useful. All right. So next up, we will be uh, switching over to Connor Elias because Connor Elias has chosen a Horus mech. And yeah, so as you see this creepy looking thing taking up space in a mech bay, you hear the voice of Demu pipe up and say, Ah, yes, you appear to be interested in a Horus mech. Unfortunately, when we were trying to create a service mech, the this thing appeared instead. It is a sign that uh, the Horus group has shown some interest in our mission. Whether that interest is benign or not, uh, we have yet to determine, but the mech itself should function adequately. You know, paint some co section colors on it. it. Reminds me of a certain game I used to run. All right, certain game I used to host. So it's kind of speaking to me. Well, I will register your license level with this pattern group then. Horus does not manufacture frames. Instead, they are responsible for pattern groups and each pattern group is recognized as having different abilities and applications than others that are otherwise quite unique in their appearance. I believe there is some fractal design coding somewhere in there, just to add a bit of randomness. And one thing I will say is keep me well away from the internals of that system. I have no desire to cascade. I don't know what any of that means, but big wheel. Stick with horse long enough and you will have to. <laughs> yeah, he'll, uh, he'll go ahead and register. Yep. And uh, as you slide in past the giant face into the cockpit, just uh, on one of the one of the monitors just goes blank suddenly and there's this um, you know the, the vertical lines that move up and down with uh, to indicate sound yeah one of those shows up green in color and uh, you hear a voice that has obviously been modulated and pitched down what you hear is a voice that says well hi there Hey, what's going on? What's shaking? Oh, everything and nothing's going on. There's a whole galaxy out there. How about you? This your first mech? Not... Second, the first real one, I would think, though. Oh, sounds like we got a cherry boy on our hands. I prefer olives. <laughs> Olive-loving cherry boy. 
You find a new one every day. So how can I help you? What's what what's going on in your side of the galaxy, I guess? Everything and nothing. If you need a name for me, you can call me Maui. It's short for name withheld. Fair enough. And uh what's really got the horse collective interested in this little mission of yours, this freedom fighting operation? Are those harmonic choir mechs that the hegemony run? Completely unique designs, based primarily off of the generic systems that were available back when they broke from the second committee. But they've gone off in completely new and independent directions. And that's something that fascinates Horus. Uh-huh, okay. So what we were thinking would be that you use this Horus mech of yours to take scans of harmonic mechs, preferably ones that are still undamaged. Although damaged ones will still net you a, a little something to show our appreciation. And for that matter, just to show our desire to continue working with you. We'll uh, give you the first thing for free. Sounds fantastic. Sounds great. I love it. We'll be needing to earn the rest, though. Fair enough. Fair enough. I know how this whole deal works. And uh, what this means, incidentally, is that if you can get your mech into sensors range, of a harmonic choir mech, one of the unique individuals. And if you perform a quick action to scan their mech, then uh, you will be getting additional reserves for your next mission. Neat. And the amount and value of those reserves will be highly dependent on the state of the mech uh, when you perform the scan. Yeah, yeah. The less damage it has taken, the more resources you can count on. And the thing that you get for free, I am going to draw from the mech equipment and gear section of the reserves list. That's a nine deployable shield, a single use deployable shield generator, size one deployable that grants soft cover to all friendly characters in a burst radius of two. Oh. And finally, we go on to the Tokugawa, and as you're looking at it, Demo's voice pipes up and says, uh, hmm, an interesting choice. That mech is the design of Harrison Armory. They are from one of, well, shall we say, one of the early groups of uh, space colonies. And for a long time, their main trade was in weapons for other mechs, other vehicles, and starships. But relatively recently, they have started designing their own mechs, essentially to use the high-end weapons that they design. You could say that uh, Harrison mechs, more so than others, are weapons with mechs attached, rather than the other way around. Despite the situation, I cannot help a little bit of a smile creeping onto my face. 
I have a, we might say, a blood proclivity for high-yield experimental ordnance. As far as I am aware, there is no genetic proclivity for any particular sort of weapon. But I will take a word for it. In any event, Harrison Armory has been made aware of your license registration, and they also have a representative who would like to speak with you. Very well. Clamper on up into the cockpit, turn on the internal systems. Alright, uh... If you like, I can route the call into the mech directly. I believe that would be best. Yeah, done. And uh, what you see is uh, a woman that the players would know of as uh, someone of African descent, uh, female, with some tight braids tied into a ponytail. Uh, A bit hard to see anything else aside from her face and hair. She appears to be wearing uh, something expensive and purple below the neck, but uh, aside from that, from what you can tell, she is holding whatever sort of camera system she has in her hand and is walking down a street with it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, as soon as the connection is made, she goes, oh, hi there. Oh, aren't you? Nice slab of meat. I'll lean back in the pilot's chair a little bit. (laughs) All right, that's unprofessional, I know. Uh, I'm Kali Nkane. Uh, I've been assigned to be your handler for Harrison Armory. Uh, You and, well, whichever other of your little freedom fighter band decides to uh, go with Harrison. So, how do you like it? Well, I've scarcely turned it on, but already it speaks to me. Oh, we love hearing that. Nothing like a customer with a calling to guarantee regular uh, regular purchases. But speaking of that, there is something that uh, we'd like to ask from you, just in case you're able to get something then maybe we'll be able to send some extra resources your way, uh, free up a little something, you know. I'm listening. Kill shots. We want to see stuff blowing up. Most importantly, we want to see our weapons being the things blowing shit up. They are great for advertising. The more real, the better. It seemed like involuntary excitement smile is kind of crawling around my face right now. I'm trying my best to hide it. Not going well. I like that. That's the kind of attitude we like. And uh, yeah, sure enough, the more spectacular the explosion is or the destruction or whatever happens when our weapons hit their targets, oh, that's going to be bad. That's going to be best. As much of that as you can get. You hear me? Oh, I hear you. All right, don't worry about recording any footage or uh, taking any time away from your busy day of destroying imperialist scum. We got onboard camera systems that are constantly rolling. Just need to uh, cut out the uh, important footage 
and get it sent to us. I think your uh, NHP can handle the sending stuff. So, you know, just do what you do best. And if you got time for a drink afterwards, hit me up. I don't say anything to that. <laughs> All right, and uh, just like the others, the uh, Harrison Armory will be sending you an incentive package to start out with. And since just because we haven't used all three of the uh, categories yet, yours will be from the Tactical Advantage list. 16. Ambush. Intel that will allow you to choose exactly where your next battle will take place, including the layout of terrain and cover. See, this is... This is why I like to arrange this sort of thing before we get to the part where we actually, you know, plan out the mission, because I, I need to find the right battle map now. But yeah, just like in, in setting, we'll say that uh, what Harrison Armory does is that uh, Jinxing already has a number of satellites in orbit around the system at all times feeding information back to the main computer and the NHP that runs it. And Harrison Armory has a whole bunch of professional military analysts who will go through that information and be able to tell you exactly where the enemy is at any given time and what will draw them into what location. Noted. I'm not specifying what access is yet because it will just sort of resolve from a nebulous thing into a specific object once you actually need to use it. But in any event, there is one other thing to do before we uh, get into strategizing for the mission proper, which is downtime activities. So here's how downtime works. Downtime is the span of time between missions when you're off doing whatever it is you do. And during downtime, you can make one roll based off of a trigger, or maybe a mech skill, depending on if whatever you can swing. And depending on your success or failure, you will gain access to more reserves. Now, the thing is that you're guaranteed to get one downtime action per downtime. However, as we have just seen, you can also get reserves from doing other, more specific things during downtime. So, the downtime activity is essentially a floor. You're guaranteed to at least get reserves from this, even if you are unsuccessful at doing anything else between missions. So, you can see your list of downtime activities by going to the action economy table in the compendium and at the very bottom you've got a list of nine things that you could be doing during your downtime and with the caveat in mind that at present you are confined to uh jinxing the underground city you are now in what sort of downtime activity would each of you like to get busy with well, you say get busy, but uh, on the surface, what I'm doing is going to be highly idle. I'm basically going to spend a lot of my time meditating. 
I've just had a lot thrown at me, and I need to think my way through it. So I'm just going to find a quiet corner, sit down, and spend as much alone time as I possibly can just thinking through this situation. All right. Well, that sounds like get focused. Exactly right. When you get focused, you focus on increasing your own skills, training, and self-improvement. You might practice, learn, meditate, or call on a teacher. Name what you want to learn or improve, such as a skill, technique, academic subject, or language. The GM will give your pilot a new plus two trigger based on your practice and training. Or you could improve an existing trigger from plus two to four or six, six being the max for triggers, by taking this downtime action. I think I am going to, yet again, improve my stay cool trigger. I'm gonna bump that up to its maximum of plus six. Alright. Well, uh, as discussed, you go to your reserves and bonuses under your narrative profile. And uh, under pilot bonuses, you would give yourself a skill point. Roster, reserves, and bonuses. Skill point. Okay. Oh. Then I will spend that. Cool. Done and done. All right. How about the rest of you? Um, well, obviously, Connor cannot get to be the big famous hero that he wants to be without getting connected. So he's going to hit the streets and try and uh, drum up some connections with some uh, with some important people. All right. Well, in this case, the streets are deserted. However, you have access to the Omninet for the first time in your life. Little cleaning robot. I wish to ask you questions, tiny cleaning droid. <laughs> Who's your agent? Which is opening up an entirely new horizon of opportunities that you never knew existed before now. Honor's going to become an influencer. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. All right. And so the way it works mechanically is that you will need to make a roll. Well, you will need to invent your own contact and then roll to get that contact's help. And this is a roll uh, for a pilot trigger. Okay. Um, let me see. I'll see if I can, like, find, yeah, like, I, I joked about becoming an influencer, but, like, I can try and, like, hit up someone who seems well off on the extranet or, um, or, excuse me, the omninet, and, um, see if they're willing to help out. And, uh, I guess I can use, Leader Inspired doesn't, probably won't fit narratively, but I can always use charm. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and roll in charm for this. So, uh... 11? 11. That's good. On a 10 through 19, your contact will help you, but you've got to do a favor or make good on a promise afterwards. If you don't follow through, treat this result as a 9 or less next time you try to get it from the same organization. That's fair. Alright, so, let's be clear. Exactly who are you contacting? Uh, if you need a name, I can give you a name. Yeah, go ahead. Give me a name. Jimmy Apple. Sure, Jimmy Apple. Or 
Apple or Apple? Apple. Like the fruit. Okay. Jimmy Apple. Got it. So what's Jimmy Apple do? Um... Well, I know what Johnny Apple does. <laughs> we'll say Jimmy Apple's like a like a big name streamer type uh, deal, and he's got like all sorts of um, like sponsorship deals that he has to go through like pretty much every day. So he's connected to the people who are, would like make the big bucks, essentially. All right. Uh, I'm listing him as a Millnet streamer and professional armchair general. Because right. that would be the reason that he's interested in getting hearing from you. All right. All right. All right. All right. What's up, gamers? It's your boy, Apple Jims. <laughs> Jimmy Apple, please. It's already a pseudonym. It's kind of making like an Applejacks joke. Okay. But yeah, so the thing about downtime actions is that you don't have to roll on a chart to determine what uh, reserve you get. Okay. So the first one was random just because I wanted to roll and because the licensing groups don't know what the hell you're doing. But for your downtime, you can request something and based on who you're asking and what they can do uh, you will get something might not be exactly what you asked for but then maybe it is uh, um, I'm, I'm gonna look through here real quick yes I would suggest looking through the resources or tactical advantages primarily resources or tactical advantages okay yeah they are some Jack off from the Omninet is not likely to have mech equipment they can just get to you real quick. What? Come on! How unrealistic! No, I, I get it, I get it. Um, a sponsored NHP assistant sounds fun. Just an AI that constantly shills for uh, whatever flavor of the week uh, sponsorship he's got going on on top of giving actual advice. And so with that in mind, here is the request that will be levied to you by Jimmy Apple. Mm-hmm. All right, so I've got this sponsorship deal going on with uh, Manscaped. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> So, uh, Connor dies five minutes later before we ever have to interact with him again. But now Connor can be smooth like a dolphin. I believe you mean like a shark? Yeah, smooth like a shark, ape. Come on. You don't have the technology for that, even in the future. Nothing can be that smooth. <laughs> sharks aren't smooth. That's kind of the point. No, sharks no, are smooth, smooth as hell. No, they... They got tiny little ridges on their skin. No, no, no you'll I'm, find I'm that checking, sharks are I'm checking Wikipedia smooth. right now, and it says sharks are smooth as hell. <laughs> right, but, uh, yeah, aside from that, Jimmy Apple continues by saying, So I've got this sponsorship with Manscaped, and, uh, so what I would need from you is two things. Uh, first of all, 
they'll send a uh, a set of their uh, latest equipment for you. Just um, do what you think is right, but make sure it's smoother than it is now, and then send pictures. Not for me. Send it directly to them. I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm I'm covered as far as that kind of stuff goes. Believe me. It's like, does he have to get before and after shots? <laughs> well, that's between you and Manscaped as far as I'm concerned. Here's the big ask, though, is that they've got an NHP that uh, they want to uh, install on your mech. And uh, during your next mission, you need to give the NHP full control over your mech for at least two rounds of combat, during which they will spend one quick action performing a live ad for Manscaped. <sighs> yeah, okay. You also need to equip these uh, testicular prosthetics to your mech for, for the purposes <laughs> of the ad. Truck nuts! <laughs> I'm in pain right now. <laughs> well, you know that was considered, but doesn't look like your mech actually has a crotch, so... <laughs> nope, nope, it is, uh... I am not allowing you to rope my very humanoid mech into this. <laughs> Fuck off. Well, luckily, you are spending your time doing something else. If you attach truck nuts to a mech, that's gender reassignment surgery. <laughs> well, it's not reassignment, it's just gender assignment surgery. Alright, yeah, I'll do it. I, I'm, I've been so thoroughly destroyed that I've been taken out of character, like, completely, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna say out of character, yeah. Elias agrees to this. Alright, but, uh, aside from that, the NHP, um, the advantage it gives you is the fact that it is still a combat intelligence and it will be able to give you useful advice uh, even when you're piloting your own mech. It is still going to be in there in the cockpit with you. Alright. And I will come up with a name for the NHP and a personality at a future date. Slick. Razor. I get it. Fuck off. <laughs> Two bits. All right, now that that's over and done with. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Lancer is a weird setting, and I want you guys to appreciate that. Oh, I, I <laughs> do. I love it. For a very specific value of appreciate, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is Alan Blakeson up to? I would like to gather information. Specifically, okay. I would like to know, or at least try to find out, any information this uh, this well, this whole place. What was it? You can call it Metal Star. It's okay. Any information this Metal Star has about the Hegemony's rise to power, or at least as far back as they can pull. All right. Well, there's some exposition I can give you for free. And then based on that information, you can request 
one of the, uh, I would say another tactical advantage. Or maybe a, maybe actually a resource would be more appropriate. Either way. Alright, let's, let's do that. Yep. And so, uh, what trigger would you like to use to make your roll? Uh, let me see. What's more appropriate? Oh, let's see. I did just pick up Hacker Fix. Alright, but this is information that uh, Metal Star and Demo would just be willing to hand you for free. Then spot? Yeah, good enough. The words are vague for a reason. 14, that's good. You find what you're looking for, but you choose one. You leave clear evidence of your rummaging, or you have to dispatch someone or implicate someone innocent to avoid attention. I have to destroy one of the little cleaning robots. <laughs> well, like I said, this is not information that would be concealed from you, so it's it's more like you go onto the Omninet and uh, make enough noise that um, the hegemony hackers who do have access to the uh, Omninet but don't tell anyone that it exists would notice you uh, rummaging about. Fair enough. Alright, so... Here's the exposition. The colony of uh, Delphi was founded over a thousand years ago during an era of human expansion into the stars. It was sometime after the blink gates had been invented, which allowed for instantaneous travel between star systems. And uh, it was part of the second committee's efforts. And for context, you discover that the second committee is, well, pretty fascist. And cool. they they ran the colonies sort of like an experiment in social Darwinism. Yay. And, uh, Just like Australia. Eh, worse. But uh, yeah, one of the examples that you keep seeing pop up is that some of the earliest colony ships were also the slowest and so later colonization efforts would get to uh, planets that had already been claimed, but were empty. And so they got they got there, they set up their colony. Then the original colonists show up and go, hey, this was ours. And the second committee's response to this was, uh, how about you two fight? See who wins. The winner gets the colony. Huzzah, I have solved it. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right. And uh, however, around 500 years ago, the second committee stumbled upon a sapient alien species and exterminated them. Yeah, that'll happen. And this caused so much blowback and so much anger in the population that uh, it started a civil war. And then the third committee showed up. And the third committee is dedicated to ideals of utopia. Ideals of making use of post-scarcity technology to actually give people everything they could possibly want because at this point we have enough energy, we have enough technology to give it to them. No problem. I imagine it went great for them. It, it has, actually. They've been in power for 500 years. Hmm. And, uh, so what, what you learn is that essentially this resource ship that you're currently on is 
essentially the seed of a post-scarcity environment. The only problem is that if this ship is seized by the hegemony, they won't use it to provide a post-scarcity society. They will hoard the resources that are so extensive that they don't actually need hoarding. It's kind of this weird human thing. And dragons. Dragons do that too. Well, who do you think invented dragons? Uh, mommy dragons and daddy dragons? <laughs> Absolutely. Moving on. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, something else you learn is that actually Dimu has been ordered, not programmed, ordered, to destroy the Metal Star if uh, hegemony units are able to breach their defenses. Like, it is better to starve the planet than to give a tyrant infinite resources. Yeah, it seems like uh, it's one of those... Um, fucked up? No, I mean, yeah, it is fucked up, but it's also like I totally understand why they would do it. Harsh but fair, I guess. Yeah. And so, regarding the harmonic hegemony itself, during the big civil war that ended the second committee, Delphi was essentially cut loose. It's not strategic, it's not important in any galactic sense. And so, without the support of the second committee, uh, the planet fell into a bit of a civil war. Eventually, a the forebears of the harmonic hegemony rose to power and set up a relatively stable monarchy. Mm. I say relatively stable because the dynasty has still still has plenty of infighting to keep things. Uh, shall we say active? Plus they people are going to be people. Yeah. Plus they frequently exploit the smaller islands and minority populations. And every once in a while, they get fed up with matters, pick up some weapons, and try and fight the system. But for the past five hundred years, that just hasn't worked. Oh, that was enlightening. Yeah. And uh, one thing that should be obvious at this point, which the hegemony did in order to secure power, was cut off all access to the outside world, aside from the elites who can be trusted to be self-interested enough to keep that access to themselves. So they can get space Netflix. Yeah, so they can still get all of the uh, luxuries that the planet itself is no longer capable of providing, mostly due to that uh, steady decline of technology. Hmm. Space North Korea, I guess. Yeah, a hermit kingdom. And North Korea is only the most recent example. This has happened before. So, with all of that knowledge, what sort of resource or tactical advantage do you think you could wrangle out of maybe a bit more specific application of that knowledge or something you could have found while digging things up. I mean, knowledge sounds like the most appropriate. Yep, but in this case, it would be specifically knowledge about 
as it says, local history, customs, culture, etiquette. So it would be knowledge about the island of Soprano in particular. Because as you must have guessed by now, your first mission is going to be to liberate the island of Soprano. Great. And you can finally explain what the hell the ending was. <laughs> it was Tony getting shot. Everybody knows it was Tony getting shot. Or was it? It, it was. It, it absolutely was. But yes, so you can gain the resources, knowledge, and in particular, it will be uh, more detailed knowledge about the people of Soprano. And the reason this sort of gets you noticed on the Omninet is that, for obvious reasons, the only real interactions between the Omninet and the planet of Delphi are with the elite on Treble. And so knowledge of the islands and the peoples of the islands is remarkably limited outside of a few very specific places that uh, gather information in secret, shall we say, for the sake of a government that you are now opposing, shall we say. Awesome. And so uh, while you do not get into trouble straight away, there will be more trouble added to the mission. Awesome. So, now we get to the, to the phase of planning the actual mission. What you know so far is that Soprano is currently in the midst of a human-caused famine. Their crops have been redirected away from the island to the mainland, and what is left for the islanders is not enough to sustain them. As such, uh, what began as bread riots has spiraled out of control into a, uh, a small but poorly led rebellion. You were originally brought to the island in order to assist with putting down this rebellion in whatever way your superiors deem fit. You are aware that uh, the member of the harmonic choir in charge of Soprano is uh, the one leading the uh, expeditionary force. And that if this person were to be taken out, it would be both a morale victory for seeing one of the invincible enemies destroyed. And it would also be a strategic victory because the person in charge is actually uh, pretty good at leading the fight. So make some plans, ask some questions, and I can give you further details. Do we have a set? <laughs> so how is this going to be formatted exactly? So our... Mm. Let me actually walk that back a little bit. So that's our goal is to take out the member to take out the member of the harmonic choir. Yes. And in the process, um, it would also help to uh, well, I, I would call this a secondary goal would be to identify a leader of the revolt and elevate them to being the leader of the entire effort against the hegemony 
because at the moment there is no clear definitive leader. How much do we know about this harmonic choir individual? That is something you will have to roll for. I can give you the name for free. I can give you the color of their mech for free. But additional information uh, will require a roll of the dice. Okay. Let's start with those pieces of information then. The name is Aaron Sunder. And their mech is Lilac Purple. Could I try to convince the people uh, sending us on the mission to convince them it's in their best interest to like try and give us as much information on Aaron Sunder as possible and uh, find out more about him on a charm roll? Um, sure. Although your your contact is going to be uh, Nawi. Okay, that's fair. You know they work for the Darknet. Yeah. That's a 13. All right. Well, uh, I haven't stated the rules yet, but skill checks during narrative play, which is what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. are actually very simple. For most checks, your target is 10. Just 10. Yeah. If a check is difficult for some reason, then you have to make it with a difficulty die. Go figure. And uh, all, incidentally, if your background, not your triggers, but your background seems particularly relevant, you can convince me to give you an accuracy die on this roll. And another way to get accuracy dice are through teamwork. And uh, if anyone is helping you, whether it be one person or a dozen people, you get one accuracy die. And there are also risky rolls where you could do something, but then something bad is also very likely to happen even if you succeed. And with that, your target is still 10, but if you roll below a 20, then both the good thing and the bad thing happen. And then the last category is heroic. Something is technically possible, but not likely, With that one, the difficulty is 20. And the last thing, of course, is that if something is easy, and if there are no consequences for failure, then you just get it. No rolls required. Yeah, I figured as much on that one. Yeah, and so my justification this time is that because you are asking for additional information and the consequences not having that useful information, a roll is required. And since you have succeeded, I will say that um, after being laughed at to your face a couple more times, uh, Nawi finally gets down to business and explains that Aaron Sunder is a uh, in a support type mech, which means that uh, when combat ensues, they are constantly surrounded by a fair number of other mechs that do all of the fighting, which they... Uh, assist from behind and uh, that's that's what they do on the tactical scale but on the strategic scale they are actually one of the best generals that the uh, hegemony employs they are from treble as are the majority of the harmonic choir members but uh, 
Well, one thing to get that whole uh, anybody can become part of the harmonic choir thing going means that several of the members are from the smaller islands and continents. Notably, they don't have quite the same military rank as the ones who are from Treble. Yeah, that's just general knowledge. Aaron Sunder is... Well, the thing about uh, Soprano is that it has a history of being belligerent against uh, hegemonic rule. I mean, there's a reason why uh, Metal Star landed here of all places. And as such, the hegemony has basically needs to have someone who is actually useful in a fight to be the one in charge of the island. And so that's Aaron Sunder, General Sunder. Anything else you need? Is there any way in the world we can get stats on this guy's mech? Or the ones that uh, make up his entourage, his coterie? That is a specific reserve to get that kind of detailed information. Okay. So it is possible to get, but you will need to put in some effort to get it. Do we have the ability to put in that effort right now, or is that going to be a next downtime kind of thing? Well, the thing about missions in Lancer is that they are pretty all-inclusive. There is one mission between license levels, so they can be pretty comprehensive, pretty big. Like, don't, don't think of them as sessions, think of them as adventures. Okay, so we could get to the part of the island where this happens and then make contact with the local rebel cell and then we would have the opportunity to secure reserves. At that point, it wouldn't be a reserve, but it would be useful knowledge to have before going awaiting into combat. Because that's another thing. There can be several combats during a mission. There can also be a whole lot of other stuff that happens in narrative during a mission. Okay. Okay, so we can leave securing, like, granular tactical information until we are more on site. What else could we want to know about this? I'm having trouble thinking of questions that wouldn't be better asked on site. Well, here's one. Where's the site? Yeah, I guess that's fair. Does uh, does Aaron tend to stick to any particular part of Soprano? Well, you have no knowledge of his exact location at the moment, but you do know that the capital of the island is called Gundertown. And if anyone is leading efforts to put down a rebellion, they would most likely hold up in the capital city. Who run Gundertown? Master okay, Blaster okay. run Gundertown. So I guess if we also have a kind of secondary objective of bolstering local rebel powers and specifically promoting a local rebel leader, do we know where they are located? I mean, you just kind of indicated Gundertown, but I figure it might actually be somewhere else, so it's worth asking. That is the case. As is true in most such instances, the rebellion is uh, swelling up from the more rural areas 
a number of smaller towns dotted across the continent. A few that are in towards the uh, the central desert, a number of them on the inhabited east coast. And uh, the island is big enough that you can pretty much give me a description of a town and why it exists and I can um, I don't know, give it a name if you don't want to. But uh, whatever you're looking for, it probably exists. It's a big island. But as far as personalities, those are few and far between. You're basically going to have to invent a rebel leader from scratch out of whoever you find there. So we find someone we like and we convince them to become a rebel leader. Yeah. Preferably someone with a bit of the natural charisma. Hey, kids, you want to overthrow the government? <laughs> yeah, just picking any old rando is not going to go too well. Why ever not? We could get real lucky. We could get real lucky. Or you could make your own luck, which is what I'm saying. Yeah. All right, team, so let's invent a town, then. Flavor town. No, just because your robot looks like Guy Fieri does not mean we get to invent Flavor Town. In what way does my robot look like Guy Fieri? In the way that you joked that he was going to look like Guy Fieri when in the Discord. I did say that, you're right. <laughs> also, don't tempt me. <laughs> I brought Manscaped into the future. You don't think I wouldn't invent Flavor Town? <laughs> We swear fealty to Guy Fieri. By now, Guy Fieri has to be running his grilled cheese truck. I'm just saying. Okay, what about... So if the hegemony is exploiting this island specifically for its food resources, that means it has to have a pretty significant, like, farming. It, it has to produce a lot of food. So I think... Yeah. Like, I think town. a significant town with like an agricultural bent would be good. I half remember from high school that deltas make for good farmland. Do I have that right? Oh, absolutely. So does uh, any old volcanic site too. The floodplain of the Nile is one of the most reliably fertile places on the w in the world. Okay. So what about like, what about the town of three rivers? Called so that sounds like a brand of whiskey. Set up next to a point where three rivers meet and form a pretty sizable delta. I like that. I delta like that is where one river branches off into an ocean. So it is less three rivers coming together and more one river splitting apart. Okay. Also works. Yeah. What is... What is the name of a reverse delta? A tributary. Praise for you. I figured one of you was just going to type out the word delta, then type it backwards, and then save those phonetics to me. I was I was going the to town but... of Rune Delta. Praise <laughs> Rio. That's my vote. I can dig Trace Rio. Yeah. All right. And it is not as populated as Gundertown, 
partly because it doesn't have Imperial backing, and partly because the place floods every once in a while. Everybody lives on stilt houses. That can happen. Hmm? There's a reason why old houses in floodplains don't have basements. <laughs> if exports are grain and dried fish. <laughs> but what they do have is about two feet between the ground. That's what I make a fucking deal. <laughs> Shut up, eh? Let Bob and talk. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I was going off on a tangent. It's fine. <laughs> okay, okay. What else do we need to... What other groundwork do we need to lay here? Well, you got the ambush reserve, which means that you have enough information to... Uh, be able to draw out the enemy to the battlefield of your choosing. And so what I am going to need to prepare for that is a general idea of the kind of terrain you would want. Okay. I I guess let me ask then, ask you, Bobbin, do you have the expectation that we will be doing this fight next session? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how how long the narrative goes on for. I will be starting yeah. with narrative and not with the fight. And there may also be multiple fights. And it could be that the final duel with uh, General Sunder is going to happen later on. There could be a fight as you are trying to construct slash um, discover a rebel leader and getting information on where the town is located will give me a good battle map for that. But uh, with that in mind, I don't need you to come up with a, uh, a location for the big ambush until later. But um, just in case things go quickly, it would be good to have something ready. So I, I kind of have an idea of like a terrain configuration that would be advantageous for us. Although I need to confirm something first. Uh, how does Game Show intend to operate on the field? Is it in an offensive support mode or a defensive support mode? Are you going to be attacking enemy units or supporting friendly units primarily? Um, I think the way this works is that it's more about shutting down enemies and like denying them their turns. So I think that's more offensive than defensive. I can still do like boosts and stuff, but um, it, I can do more buffs, but I think it's more of a debuff role. Yeah, the, okay. uh, the Gorgon is classified as a... Uh defense mech and the way it defends okay. is by denying enemies their turns or their ability to act and so in that sense it is sort of an offensive defense yeah but it does and mean getting close to the enemy to enemy mechs as we yeah, mentioned yeah. earlier it has a relatively short sensor range although it's still operating on uh, everest numbers for the time being for the but, time but, being but. yeah sensors go through walls right yes if something is within sensor range then uh, 
you can see it even if you don't have line of sight. Okay. So here's my thought for our, like, desirable terrain is Loxley is going to want an elevated position that's back from the main combat zone. And Connor is going to want somewhere that... Game show is going to want somewhere that he can like hunker down. That's at sort of like mid-range, just, uh, possibly a concealed position where units will just kind of be around him without necessarily being able to figure out exactly where he's at. And then I'm going to want somewhere that I can take advantage of my high speed and high output to just kind of come around corners, hit guys, and then use that move that I just got, uh, Lockbreaker, to like hit them and then keep moving. So I'm thinking like a region that is heavily wooded and semi-mountainous. There's going to be high hills for Loxley to bunker down on. There will be thick trees and smaller hills that Game Show can hide behind. And then ideally the spacing of the trees will be the kind of thing that I can weave around and get surprise angles on. Alright. I will add that because of how General Sunder goes, or because General Sunder is a support type enemy that does imply that he's got quite the crew with him would you want something like a choke point where the number advantage does not get to come into play yeah a choke point would be nice especially for like hacking stuff so here's the thing is Loxley and Game Show are going to be largely stationary units, and a choke point would serve the both of them very well. But with my high maneuverability, that might actually make things difficult for me if there's only one way that I can pass through to get to the enemy units. So a choke point, yes, but that's not the... But maybe there's like two choke points instead of just one with a sort of arena in the middle? Ideally, yeah. All right, I'll see what I can come up with. Does that sound good to both of my fellow players? Yes. All right, sure. I will add that if you've still got a uh, jump jet system or a flight system, then vertical movement is still very much inbounds for you. I did. Things. I can climb walls. I did keep my jump jets. I think I kept mine, too. All right. Well, yeah, unless you specifically got rid of it, it would still be there. Yep. I just don't remember if I got rid of it or not. Nope, I got it. I kept it. All right. So it sounds like we've got enough information to move forward. We've got an immediate port of call to make in order to uh, create some support from the locals. Possibly uh, there's at least a chance that you'll get into a scrape once you're there. We'll see how things go. Afterwards, uh, having secured that support, you may be able to uh, expand the front, so to speak, but, but the other major thing that you need to do is 
take out the general in order to uh, demoralize and decentralize the enemy forces. With that being accomplished, and with a new, more centralized control on Soprano's side, success in the field may in fact be possible. And with that much accomplished, your mission would be a success. All right, all right, all right. All right. Sounds like I got some work to do before next time. Woo! We are going to have to come up with a way to piss off the hegemony to get a bunch of their units to come over here and try and shut shit down so we can ambush them. Yep. Well, you got the reserve, so the end goal is within sight. But as for right now, I think before we end things, I would like to hear what each of you does in the evening after your planning session. You're each alone in your individual quarters, well-appointed, new, far more luxurious than any of you are used to living in, except possibly with the exception of Jean-Luc. And as you are getting ready to turn out the lights, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What small moments are you going through? I'm just reading a book that I found, some sort of like fiction book, and, uh, and just thinking, their martinis are terrible. Then that's like the last thought I have before I turn off the light. So I figure we've been provided clothes. We would have to have been. We can't exactly rock up to a rebel town and expect to ally with them while wearing hegemony cadet uniforms. That's the case. Uh, they are synthetic weaves, but far more breathable than anything we've got today. And hypoallergenic. So I have stripped out of my uniform. I've been folded it neat, tidy, the way I've been taught since I was a kid, and I just have the little package of folded clothes. I have the pants in my lap, and I have the, the top just in my hands. And I'm just letting the gears turn in my head while I rub my thumbs against the, the weave of the, the uniform, contemplate its colors, contemplate the symbols on the outside. Eventually, I just pass out from sheer exhaustion, and I'm not even aware of it happening. Alan just is just thinking about how how deeply satisfying it is it's going to be to turn the hegemonies. Like, they made him into a killer, and he's going to turn those skills back on him, and he's not excited, but... It's not, excited is not the right word for it, I think, but... Uh, Mostly, he's just kind of savoring the the irony of the situation, I suppose. I imagine, uh, like, at the same time, just like, sort of as ritual meditation, he is taking apart his field rifle, cleaning it and reassembling it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though there's not a speck of dirt or grease on it. And with all of that established, with everyone prepping in their own ways for the mission ahead. We end tonight's session. <laughs>